the first thing I wanted to raise with you now is as I was approaching this Tishaba the last few days a certain pasuk from Esther jumped out of me when Esther responds to Mordechai's command that you go see Ahasuerus and undo the terrible decree she's at first very hesitant and then later she says Knos Kol Hayudin gather all the Jews it wasn't an easy matter to gather all the Jews so for here in the midst of the city could you imagine if there was a we lived in a country where they had a decree to kill all Jews on a certain day every single Jew could you imagine the Jews pouring out of the thousands in Times Square to protest and to pray to Hashem I was thinking what do we have that very close to Tishabov in the last few weeks since the three weeks began two items one item you're all familiar with that's Iran I'm not going to spend so much time on Iran but no one thing that to choose for America to choose the one country in the world that publicly wants to destroy another country and the President of the United States never said a peep didn't say that he never said it was improper he didn't condemn him in fact maybe his best friend that's unbelievable everything he did everything you know I don't have to go into that but that gives us a sense that even America and nobody understands it the Goyim don't understand it the Jews don't understand it you have to understand it in fact I remember when the president became president he went to a church for 23 years or 22 years which was an anti-Semitic church every week the pastor of that church preached against Jews and he said, well, he always fell asleep. So he never heard it in 23 years. But more than that, he wrote a book. His first book before he was even a candidate, before maybe even he was thought to be a candidate. He dedicated an honor of his pastor. And you have to read that honorific opening. The whole book begins with how great his pastor is. And he was known as the most anti-Semitic pastor. There may have been some others like him, nobody did anything. All right, that's, that's a problem we have. <clears throat> the second problem is maybe a bigger problem. And that problem was when I couldn't believe it when I heard it on the radio that 70% of young Jews in the last year or two, I don't know how much it covers, young men I take it women as well. Probably men, I'm not sure. Married out of the faith. 70%, you have that figure? 70%. Next week I heard it was 80%. That's 8 out of 10 Jews of a certain group. I can't believe it means that it doesn't mean the outside Jews, certainly not. And if it means it doesn't mean the outside Jews, you take away 20%. So what have you left? 
I'm not sure how that was calculated. And then most of them are in college. And they're part of college organizations that speak against Israel now. They're ashamed to be Jews because it's difficult to be a Jew in a college today. There's overt and there's less than overt anti-Semitism. It's not anti-Semitism, it's called anti-Zionism. The one country in the world which is a real democracy and still has some ideals that we have reached that point that's a tissue bug that was created in the last years in America. There are a lot of good things too but and they probably will outweigh but much smaller. Yeshiva world has grown. Go to Lakewood has grown. Grown here. People learning Torah they should learn. It's Gather all the Jews. And we had a big rally last Wednesday in Times Square. That 12,000 people, some reported it was a small crowd, and they said, oh, 12,000 people. I used to go to all the rallies when I was a boy your age or less. It was right after the, the Second World War. And the rallies that nations should begin to recognize that Palestine, or part of Israel, should become a national state, a Jewish state, first time in 2,000 years. And it was very iffy, the entire thing. And he called rallies. I remember I was to three rallies. The smallest rally was about 125,000 Jews came. And then it was a rally later, the Soviet jury that was held in Washington, one quarter of a million Jews came from all over. That's it, I was still alive. Then, now I'm living here. Could you imagine that? A quarter of a million Jews by buses, however they came. And then they claimed there were even more. The newspapers acknowledged a quarter of a million. So how do we go from a quarter of a million and there never was so much advertising. There wasn't as much advertisement as there was last week. I only have radio and I listen to radio almost every hour, almost every station I listen to. There was a, 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 an advertisement for this rally. Very, very, very well written. And the one who read the advertisement was also impactful. And only 12,000 people came. There was a time when now you can say that the Jews who learned that they're going to give you go to the valleys. So leave them out. Leave out all these Hebrew boys in America. Ten thousand. What happened to five million? Eighty out of a hundred percent, eighty percent, that's unbelievable. I mean next in twenty years from now there'll hardly be any Jews except Orthodox Jews. Which is good that we should be Orthodox. We'll all be Orthodox, but it doesn't mean we should be happy with the fact that we'll all be Orthodox. And we'll represent 80% of the population, but it'll be a small group. And she said, Tnos Kola Yehudim. They made a rally. 
Yirio says, Sion he. Doresh ain lord. It's Zion. Now, Baruch Hashem, we have made a mark here in the world in spite the opposition and the threats. We made a mark that we changed the whole world, even the computer world. Out of six or seven billion people in the world, and there are about 12 million Jews, that's the best figure you can give, 12, 13 Jews in the world. The whole world was changed because of Jews. 80 to 90 percent changed the entire world. And we are the most hated. He said, Ed, Jews are murderers. That was came. It came after again, I'll tell you, when the President of the United States didn't say one word when 3,000 rockets were shot at Israel last summer. And then after a day or two when the Jews went into Gaza and he claimed they're killing, they're killing young boys and babies. The whole world got up. That's to the Jews. That's to the Jews. The Vilbegoyen in his sitter, in Nachem in his sitter, Arkane Sion Lamar Tifke, the Yerushalayim Titan Kola, Sion will weep, and weeping in bitterness. And Jerusalem will raise its voice. My heart, my heart. Is thinking this morning. May I, may I, My innards and innards. Are against the losses we suffered. Now there's a very big my focus. What does it mean that he will build it in fire? We have it in the Gomorrah and Sukkot. We say it's going to come during Yom Tov, and you're going to build it, and right after Yom Tov will be a base amigdash. How would that happen? They say it would be done at night, but and according to Allah, it can't be done. So Hashem will build it with fire, and we'll see this fire. And the Rambam talks about that. That will be built with fire. This is big my focus. The Rambam holds that the Osuri Migdash, and you shall make me a Migdash.
That means whenever there isn't the Migdash, we are Mechuyim. We have six. In counting the Mishkan, there were seven Mishkanos. So the Ramam says that there's a commandment. We have a Mitzvah. We have a Shiyun. Whenever there isn't the base of Migdash, we have to build. Every generation has to build. We don't build it, we can't. We don't have permission. We don't know what's going to come to you. So, if he said, but also we have a mitzvah, so what do we mean when we say, but Eish, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to create it out of fire? And we're happy about that. But he's taking away a mitzvah from us. And the Goyen, I'll come back to the Goyen, I'll come back also to him. So the Goyen explains in the Nachet, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to build the base of Mikdash. And we will do something to it. We will add to it. The Tikkuna. The Russian is the Mikdash Shalesh Sakharish Barfu Bana also Visimachdu Bitikuno. The Gavana is this that we will somehow add and complete it. He will make the body of the big dash, it seems to say. And then uh, we ourselves have to I don't know what that means. The only thing I can mean is that I thought uh, that we know about the the doors of Nicanor was sent from Egypt to serve and these great doors of Nicanor which became really a part of the base of Migdash and people came from the whole world to see these doors and the doors were floated from Egypt to Eretzisrael they picked those doors up so apparently there were in addition to the Binyan themselves there were parts of the Binyan of the base of Migdash that are left to people to do but not that they were built themselves they built the first base of Migdash he says, well, also the Migdash. It means you have to build a Migdash. The Smog disagrees with the Rampa. The Smog says, it says, well, also the Migdash, even though it says Migdash, and that's the Rampa says, it should say, well, also the Mishkan, because this is in the Midbar. Well, also the Mishkan. So why does it say, well, also the Migdash? Referring to later. What the Migdash of Mishkanos? And the Smag says no, because it says, Vasili Migdash <coughs> refers to the Mishkan, because if you look at the context of that puzzle, the whole context of the puzzle is talking about a Mishkan. He called that Mishkan a Migdash. It wasn't referring to a later Mesa Migdash. So, the Arach HaShulchan. And by the way, the text I gave you now about uh, comes from the Imei Emes. And I brought that to Imei Emes because I want to tell you something about Tisha B'Av specifically. The Imei Emes, of course, was the Yerah Rebbe, was a great Zionist, quote-unquote, a lover of Eretz Israel, he set his chassidah before even he came before the Second World War 
and they were wealthy and they had money, they were able to do things. And uh, he came after the war, he just made it after the war. He was very well known. He happened to be, or he was married, to a cousin of mine. It was a very rare thing, and I'm going to tell you how it ends up. It ends up with uh, Tishabov. The Imei Emmis married a girl who lived in Gare. His name was Shahar. My mother was a Shahar, and she was a second or third cousin of this, of this family. It is the only part of my mother's family. They were very strong supporters of the going, going back several centuries before that. They came from Italy in the 16th century. They escaped from Spain in 1393, or 13, 100, 101 years before 1492. It's true. And they went to Italy. And they spent two centuries in Italy, remained absolutely firm, didn't change at all. And then they went to Poland at the beginning when the king of Poland asked Jews to come in and he wanted to build up their business and their commerce and he made an open invitation. Everybody knows about this. He brought the Jews to Poland from, from Germany, from other parts. My great, great, great ancestors came from Italy, from Venice. And they came to Poland. There never was a chassid among them. They were all strong supporters later on, centuries later, of the Goyen. The only one was the, the father of the Yemenis, his daughter, <coughs> of a, a, son, a son who married Yemenis' daughter. He was very wealthy in Europe too. And I'm sure they gave him a big bechina to find out if he's suitable for the Gary Rebbe, his family. That was an important thing. He was after the Tzvassamis. The Yemenis comes directly from the Tzvassamis. It's very important. You look to see how much he learned and what his bank account was. That's the way I understood it. But in any event, he came to Israel. He was very close to uh, my Zeri He came first in 1924 with our cook. And, and then when he died, the base Israel took over. So I was in Eretz Yisrael, the first and only time that I saw my Zaydi. My father said he was ill, and he wanted to see my, my grandfather for the only time. So I was there in Eretz Yisrael for eight weeks, almost nine, eight and a half weeks, in 1949, a year after Yaakov Sabin. And I stayed with him. It was, of course, one of the great experiences, if not the greatest, in my life. And I wrote a, a quintus which has been published, we're going to publish it now, it's called Habikur, the visit. I met all the Gedolim there. So one of the things that happened was on Tishabah, two Hasidim walked into the Isaiah's house and I was there. I said, the Gerard ever wants to see your Vilzan Yiddish, Ayayim. He wants to see your Anglical tale. So my Isaiah says to me, you hear the Vilzan The, the Gerard himself wants to see you. You have to see him. So I said to him, well, my minhug is in my house that we don't visit people on Tishabov. So I don't know if I can go to see him. So I think my, my dad was ready to send me to a sanitarium or something. And he said, the bill, the, the, the uh, Gera Rebbe asked, you go. You don't say, you go. He told me, so he told me how to go. I went, and then cousin met me going, he went with me. 
And we came there, and the place was packed, the waiting room. There must have been 50, 60 Hasidim there. Packed, there was no room for them. In a room that probably held 30 to 40 at most. Couldn't walk in. And the minute we walked in, about a minute later, a man came out of the secretary room, and one of the secretaries came out and said, please come in. I wasn't that visit that day with Tishaba. I was there for about almost two and a half, three hours. He talked to me about everything. He took me to a refrigerator, so he asked me about my grandpa. My grandfather was very ill then. That's why I really went there. He died within a year and a half, and he, people don't know because he was considered the Ghana of of Yerushalayim, and really he didn't reach 70. He was the youngest one. The only one who was available, Rizka, was three years younger than me. And he's also a cousin of ours. He comes from the Shachar family, too. And one. So I went to him. He took me right in. He started asking me a question. He wanted to know. The first question was, why does he, in America, when the president makes a dinner for somebody, a big meal for somebody, he makes it in the evening? The big meal, according to Chazal, has to be eaten in the afternoon, not in the evening. So I said, I don't think he knows the Chazal. <laughs> then he took me to a and he asked me, is your, father, is your grandfather fasting? Is they fast? And of course the doctor said he can't fast, and every time he fasts, he used to get heart failures. I was there maybe in the eight weeks I was there, he had at least 10 or 11 heart failures. They brought him out every time, because he just kept on going. He didn't allow him to stop. So I said, no, we told him he has to eat. We don't know what he eats. So he took me to a refrigerator. And he opened, it was a brand new refrigerator, a big refrigerator. Eric said, there were no refrigerators then, no new ones, there were old ones. And you paid a lot of money for an old refrigerator, which they had repaired. But he had the big one. He said, this is the biggest refrigerator in Eric Shishoda. That's what he told me. It was in his room. And he took me over, he grabbed my hand, he took me over, opened up the refrigerator, and showed me a box that was at the bottom of the refrigerator, a box of pears. Var, they called Var, He said, must have been 30 or that these are the most beautiful and expensive pairs and sent to me by a person who is in Beirut. Beirut, even though Eretz Yisrael was a, the Eretz Yisrael was already established, but there were Jews living and rich Jews and even Hasidim, Yerah Hasidim in Beirut. And they were smuggling in pairs because he loved pairs. So he gives me a big bar, a big pear, and he says, and he wraps up a little paper, says, give it to your grandfather. The Zayda, I'm not talking to you in English, he didn't speak. And tell him that he must eat it. If he doesn't eat it now, he is a murderer. You know what a murderer means? A murderer. That's the language he used. Very. He used to slap the Hasidim, the young Hasidim. It was very interesting. I came there on Friday, next Friday. Anyway, so after a long discussion, we, we talked about everything world. And the, I went to back to Tzarek uh, Chesed. And I brought him the pear, and I told him, the Rebbe said that you have to eat this pear. If you don't eat this pear, it's hard to be a something. You're a murderer. He said, so I was going to say, you're a murderer. Maybe he wouldn't understand it as well as I said, as a murderer. It comes the same word, though. A murderer. You're a murderer yourself. And we never found out. And then he got heart failure towards late afternoon. Heart failure means he can't use heart failure. They call a doctor. There was uh, some outstanding doctors from Germany who very well known. They came sometimes two, three times a day. They came and they revived him from it. So my cousin and I went looking, went into the bedroom. We took the whole bedroom apart. 
we took the mattresses apart, we took the furniture, everything, we put them back, we opened up every drawer, we looked underneath to look for a pair, to see if they had a pair. Then he had the back, he had two windows that faced a little garden in the back of his house. So we went outside, and we went to hit the entire garden outside. And the Zeta took off his garment, he changed into another garment, at nighttime it was different. And we could not find it until this day. We don't know if he ate that thing. And when I asked him, he refused to answer. He didn't say yes or no. He said he just ignored it. He didn't hear it. You couldn't even find any facial expression to give you some indication of what happened. So I told you before what the Yemen said, so I wanted to tell you now what the Basis Fellow said. The beginning of the uh, of the kinnis, and this is things I thought about today. At the beginning of the kinnis, near the beginning, first half of the beginning, he talks about. Crusades. And he talks about how the many Jews in the finest Jewish communities in Germany and France were annihilated when the Christians were going on these crusades against the Muslims. Never thought of it before. They weren't going against Jews. They didn't come to Europe to kill Jews. They went to Europe to get to Asia Minor to, to throw the Muslims who took over Palestine, Eretz Israel. But on their way, they killed many more, many more Jews than they maybe killed Muslims. They never understood it. Why did they kill the Muslims? Why did they want to go to Muslims? Why did they make a war? Because they said Eretz Israel belongs to them. See, all three religions come, have the same idea where, where the, what they own. Because they all can't be hidden. So on the way, it occurred to me, that's why they killed so many Jews. It wasn't they just went against the Muslims. The same and deeper hatred against the Jews because of being Jews, but because of Eretz Yisrael as well. The Jews prayed Eretz Yisrael, Jews prayed the Yerushalayim Eretz So it occurred to me that was one of the main reasons, you don't need reasons to kill Jews, but one of the main reasons was on the way to drive the Arabs out of Eretz Yisrael, out of the Holy Land, that on the way they killed the Jews because the Jews were really the real owners of Eretz Israel. The second thing is that one of the great problems educationally in the modern world is that People are taking up with the computers and say, but it's happened bit by bit in the last 20 years. We have so, so much knowledge, but we're not in depth in this knowledge. We just have it all so easy. You pick a computer, you pick a game, you play one game, then you, you invent another game, and you invent another game. I don't know, I've never seen these games. Tell you the truth, but to tell you, that's what I hear about, that's all we'll talk about. And we have millions and billions of dollars on these things. But nobody stops and has any depth. 
And we have another part in the uh, in the Kinos. We have Lechem HaKlokel. Lechem HaKlokel. What is it, Lechem HaKlokel? Lechem HaKlokel is the money. We have a, a part in the in the uh, Kinos about the money. Why are we talking about the money? It got to tell you how good God was he gave us money and we didn't take the money properly. Because why is it called Lechemar Klokel? It seems to me it's called Lechemar Klokel because it's Kal Kal. Easy come, easy go. Knowledge that comes easily. Knowledge that you absorb quickly. But the next day is old. You have to find something else new. You can't. We're learning the same tomorrow. We're learning the same Tejas, the same Rashis. We're learning even the Rishonim and those who came before the Rishonim, the Vim. We're learning everything the same. We try to go deep as they go in a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years. How deep can you go over that same line? And it never becomes old. And our minds develop. And you know why the Jewish mind developed this? Because they worked in their mind and their mind went deeper and deeper. They had the same Torah and the same... The same halachas, so the same everything. But the, each one was looking for chidosh. There was never a greater search for chidosh in the world than a search for chidosh in halacha. But it's always on the same thing. It's on the same questions. Going deeper, seeing it differently. But it's the same thing over and over again. And the man is less than cloaked. Easy come, easy go. And we live in a society today. You see, she didn't want to talk to me. I don't know. Please forgive me. Now I'm not going to take it out to me. Okay. I can go. I can get it. I'm going to end up with the following. End up with the following thought. I had a very great simcha. And at the simcha, was a, a very great Rashishiva in America. This is the five weeks he switched it He was in Parshish Chukas. So he explained, he started to explain Chukah. It was a very, it was a really brilliant presentation. But I don't know if it was 100%. And he said the difference between the Jew and the Goy is that the Jew knows that Torah is chukas. And the Goy, I don't know how you get rid of this slave. And uh, the Jew knows that everything that Kodesh Baruch gives us is chok. We have to listen to whether we understand it, we don't understand it as much as we understand it. If we understand it and forget it, whatever it is, we have to do it. And the great accepts also mishpat. That's the difference, he said. He, he went on to it. And then it occurred to me 
that you have to know what mishpat is. You have the posse. Tiku v'chayish shofar. V'chesa v'yom chayim. Blow the shofar. When it's covered up. So that refers to Rosh Hashanah. When you don't see the moon, you don't see anything. But Kesa the Yom Chagenu. That is Rosh Hashanah. Ki Chokhu the Israel. We don't understand it. It's a Chok. But Mishpot Lelote Yaakov. But I call it Baruchu. It's a Mishpot. It makes sense. We don't understand it. We can't fathom it. We can't begin to do it. But the reason we are attached to it the reason we take hope and we understand hope is because we know that it may be a hope for us but if HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded it is to him a mishpat he sees it he understands it and it's for our benefit and for our good and for the survival of the world and for everything the reason for every reason HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it thank you